Welcome to the POV Hamilton podcast. Each episode, we're sharing a unique point of view and exploring what makes this city great. Hamilton isn't just a steel city, it's a music city too. And in our thriving arts sector, there are amazing stories of transformation and resilience waiting to be discovered. Here's whose point of view you'll be listening to today. Hi, I'm Boris Brott. I'm a symphony and opera conductor and a motivational speaker, and I'm the artistic director of the National Academy Orchestra and Brat Festival in Hamilton. The National Academy Orchestra is Canada's only professional mentor-apprentice program, and it's been in existence now for 34 years. Next year will be its 35th year of operation. We have, in quotes, graduated about 1,800 young musicians. We tend to encourage young people who want to really discover a couple of things. First of all, what is it to play in an orchestra? What are the skills that are required throughout the whole gamut of repertoire, from pops concerts through choral concerts, through opera, through classical music, to rock music, to every possible kind of music they will face in an orchestra. Secondly, to look at options for employment if they've spent 12 years of their life, for example, though most of them have, uh, perfecting a skill on an instrument, and they're ready for a job, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who are ready for a job, who need that extra oomph, that extra step to really allow them to, to win a job. So if they don't, because, for example, uh, there is only, usually, only two oboe players in an orchestra, uh, I think there are only three orchestras in Canada that have what we call triple wins or three oboes uh, in an orchestra. So your chances of getting a job in an orchestra in Canada are minimal. Uh, if you're an oboe player, uh, if you play the violin, there are greater chances because there are more violins in an orchestra um, and everything in between. Uh, so you might have a really brilliant oboe player who's put 12, 13 years into their study and they, they wake up and they say, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to make a living if I continue to bar, you know, knock down the doors of auditions and apply. So what else can I do with this experience, this education that I have? And we try to bring mentors who have done that themselves within their lives uh, to help them find new directions. Well, what can I do to use this education? I now have this ability. And we've had many, many success stories of people who've come here as instrumentalists and then pivoted into another area uh, where they've been able to use their skills in computer sciences and in, in programming and in, in every skill imaginable uh, using the education that they've had. Uh, in many instances, they retain their capacities as musicians and, and enjoy that as amateurs while they turn to something else to earn a living. So that's really the objective. It's a long objective, complicated objective, but it's basically to give people a leg up in their professional standing and help them achieve their goals. Well, the Brat Festival really started before the National Academy Orchestra. The Brat Festival was meant really to uh, supply some 
entertainment in the area of classical music in the summertime when there was nothing going on. Uh, 35 years ago, I was conductor of the Hamilton Philharmonic, and uh, during the summer times, there was pretty much nothing going on here. As a matter of fact, my wife, Ardeth, and I were responsible for putting on a series of concerts at, at then Ontario Place called Ontario Place Pops. And we employed a lot of musicians from Hamilton, but in Hamilton, there was basically nothing going on in the summertime. I came up with the idea of this National Academy Orchestra when I was uh, invited to do a concert in Ottawa uh, for the National Capital Commission. And we thought that we would uh, bring together some young musicians. My father had a program called Jeune Virtuose in Montreal um, for string players. And we used those young players as a core. And then we hoped to find professional people within the National Arts Center who would kind of develop, uh, who would be the mentors to these players. And uh, it turned out actually we were rained out uh, for the concert, but it was such a wonderful experience for everybody concerned and that I thought, well, you know, this should be happening on a regular basis. I was also at that time music director of a number of other Canadian orchestras, and we had great difficulty finding really highly qualified Canadians. Uh, the United States tended to, to educate their young people better, to give them experience programs, uh, in programs of this kind, and we thought, well, there's a need for it in Canada. But then we were looking for an audience. There has to be an audience for these players to play for. And since we already had the festival here, we simply plugged the academy into the festival, and the festival became the playing arm of the academy. And it still remains that way today. It still does other projects other than the academy. Um, at the time, we were doing a lot of jazz concerts and uh, concerts that had ensembles and art gallery concerts and things that were non-orchestral. And we still do that today, although we, our major concentration is, is behind the National Academy Orchestra. I started my education really in the crib. I was brought up in a, in a household of musicians. My father was a conductor, composer, violinist. My mother a cellist. My mother hailed from Mannheim, Germany, uh, where uh, her parents had... Uh, in at the, the, the time of Kristallnacht, when she was unable to play solo with the orchestra at school because she was Jewish. They sent my mother to Neuchâtel, Switzerland, and her, along with her sister to sort of wait to see what would happen in, in, that, in the war. And eventually they were dispossessed of everything they had, and uh, they went around the world on a, on a world cruise um, in 1939 trying to find another place to live and eventually got the girls to come with them, and uh, they eventually ended up settling in Montreal. Uh, my mother came, and my mother met my father at a streetcar stop. He was a young violinist and started a string quartet in Montreal, and uh, they were looking for a cellist, and my mother auditioned and got more than the job. So that's the beginnings of, of my life. Uh, I, we, were, uh, we were living in under really very humble circumstance. My, we inhabited the the living room, all three of us, of my grandparents' fourth floor walk-up flat on Maplewood Avenue in Montreal. Uh, and obviously in that same room, I, they were practicing their instruments. Uh, they, my father was writing his music. The string quartet came and rehearsed. And I have great memories of that time. And my mother was really superb. But both my parents were superb in, in 
exposing me to this and involving me in this. And I, I remember one of the things my mother did was that she had dressed all my uh, stuffed animals with bow ties and I had to give concerts for them uh, every week. I mean, it was sort of like the Suzuki method is today, except it was her invention of the time. There are a number of occasions where I ventured out of music. Uh, I felt that uh, it was very, uh, it wasn't very conducive to having friends. Um, at one point I uh, took my violin to school for an assembly and played for uh, my colleague students and ended up being snowballed all the way home uh, because they certainly didn't understand anything about it and they thought it was weird to have be playing the violin, particularly classical music. Uh, so it was sort of in this hothouse atmosphere, if you will, that I grew up. Uh, I had a, an interest in, in medicine, uh, which I still have today as an amateur. I was on various boards of hospitals here in Hamilton and president of the Lung Association of Canada. And so I've kind of got my jollies as, in terms of medicine in that way because uh, my father, rightly so, said to me, look, I can help you in music. I can't help you in medicine. And, and I must admit that I took the easy way out. I seemed to have a talent for it and, and things just fell into place. And therefore I just followed, in a sense, followed the route that was, seemed to be preordained, if you might say that. My education was at McGill University and at the Conservatoire. I studied both, the, both conducting and uh, the violin and the French horn. And eventually I did master classes with Pierre Monteux during the summers and I spent a year in Mexico studying at Instituto Nacional de Bellas Artes with Ivar Markovich. Uh, I eventually went to Europe and was assistant to Monteux with the London Symphony Orchestra. Eventually, one way, one thing and another led to my getting the very first position that I had as a conductor, which was with the Toronto Symphony as assistant to Walter Suskind. And I started among things that I started uh, for the Toronto Symphony was their youth and education program. They didn't have a youth and education program and I was 18 years old at the time and therefore close to the age of the students that we were talking about so it was natural for me to get involved. And I've been involved really close to education in one form or another ever since that time because my earliest teachers all had that tradition of taking younger people under their wing and helping them in their profession. And that's been a recurring theme, light motif, if I may use a musical uh, word, throughout my life and ending up here with the National Academy Orchestra. So, I mean, from there, I, uh, was, I went back to Europe and I was appointed as conductor and music director of the Northern Sinfonia uh, in Newcastle on Tyne. I was a mere 20 years old. Um, and I helped that orchestra get itself established and today I'm very proud to say that uh, it has a, a royal insignia. It's now called the Royal uh, Northern Sinfonia and uh, has a phenomenal music center in Gateshead which is across the river from Newcastle on Tyne and continues to have a great career and be really successful as an orchestra. Um, I then competed in the Metropolis competition in New York City and won position as, as Leonard Bernstein's assistant. And from that time on, I, there was a succession of orchestras that I was involved in as, a, as both as a guest conductor, uh, literally all over the world. Um, uh, but then 
eventually coming to Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton was a really strange choice, um, probably the wrong choice from a career standpoint because having been in New York and being assistant conductor of one of the major orchestras of the world, coming to Hamilton, Ontario was a real sideline or sidebar, if you will, uh, uh, for, for to, to take. But Bernstein encouraged me to do that because I had this dream of creating an orchestra of ensembles, which we eventually did in Hamilton. And the Hamilton Philharmonic at one point in its life about uh, 30 odd years ago was one of the most successful orchestras in the country. I was at one time and another music director of seven Canadian orchestras uh, from Symphony Nova Scotia through the Regina Symphony, um, the Hamilton Philharmonic, of course, uh, even the orchestra in Kitchener-Waterloo, I, for a couple of seasons, helped them uh, identify a principal conductor that they eventually hired. I also was conductor of the uh, chief conductor of the BBC Orchestra in Wales, and for some 23 years held a position of, of uh, founding conductor of uh, the New West Symphony in Los Angeles, California. So that, that sort of is a synopsis of the professional life. There's a lot more detail behind that. People keep saying, why don't you write a book? Um, and one of these days, maybe I will, but I'm still practicing my profession and, and I love to make music and I love to teach. So that's taking predominance in my life, even though I should better, I better get busy writing this book because I'm not getting any younger. It's actually, as I sit here and I enumerate all of these various positions, uh, it's almost like I, I can't believe it was me that did all of that. There just was so much, and you know, looking around this room, and you know, there, uh, my our upstairs living room, and so on. There, all kinds of photos and memorabilia, and and honors and decorations and awards and. You know things like the Can the on the uh, Order of Canada um, that I'm really proud to be an officer of, and honorary degrees, honorary doctorates from McMaster University and McGill University. It's been very rewarding and very, uh, but but as far as I'm concerned, it's it's like beginning all over again, because for me everything that I do, what I do, what I'm doing next, is the most important thing, and and the thing that keeps me going. Well, when I came to Hamilton, uh, which is in, 19, in 1969, um, Hamilton was really ripe for artistic development. Why? Because it had a large number of European immigrants who'd come here to work in the steel mills. And they, were, they came from southern Italy, from uh, you know places around Naples and further south, uh, where it was perhaps an ambition for them to be, go to an opera house or he listened to a symphony orchestra, but of course they were far too poor to be able to afford it. This was for rich people. And so um, the idea of building an orchestra and a concert hall here in this city for these immigrants, as well as everybody else in the community, uh, was something that was very inspiring. And in fact, uh, the ha Hamilton Place which is one of the finest concert halls, certainly in Canada, one of the finest in the world. And I had the privilege to be part of building it from the ground up. When we ran into financial problems with the Canadian government who'd given away all its money in the centennial to build these centennial concert halls, uh, they had no money for us. And uh, we came up with the notion, Victor Copps and I, of, of going to the Steel Workers Union and saying, how about a payroll deduction scheme to build this theater? And 
we were surprised when the union said, yes, we'd like to do that. And, and so every seat in that concert hall is, was subsidized by uh, union members of the steelworkers. And, and the first concerts I gave in that concert hall were for those people in hard hats. And that was particularly marvelous to see this grow. And that audience really was phenomenal in those early years. Now, the city's changed a lot. And we went through a period of, of some great turmoil and, and difficulty financially. But I still have great faith that the, the potential for building audiences exists here. Uh, I think the education program that I developed uh, with the Hamilton Philharmonic really put musicians, professional musicians, in direct contact with elementary school children throughout the whole area and help build that audience in its first iteration. My whole life is, is I believe, very much in positive reinforcement. And I think uh, there is real potential in this city. And certainly in developing the festival and developing the National Academy Orchestra, we have been well supported by the city of Hamilton and by people donating money and uh, by corporations in the city of Hamilton. And it's really, and the federal government and the provincial government, they've really been very helpful in our building this. And we've managed during this, uh, this pandemic to pivot and to go online and develop new ways of, of communicating with musicians. Uh, for example, uh, one of the things we did right at the beginning of the pandemic, I got in touch with colleagues who were principal players of the best orchestras in Europe the concertmaster, the Berlin Philharmonic and Vienna Philharmonic and San Francisco, Los Angeles, and got them to give master classes online. And we developed this whole festival literally online. So this education system that we developed with the NAO has never stopped. It's continued and it's been enriched. And we are we we're pivoting again as we open ourselves out to the public in general. We're able to bring people together and perform in public again, but we are still continuing to use the resources that we uh, developed in the connection with those major teachers. Um, so people who come to us will have the benefit of that international uh, exposure to highly qualified mentors. We question ourselves every day, what are we doing for these young people? What, what, what is their future? Because the whole notion of being able to earn a living in an orchestra uh, is called into question by this pandemic. Uh, we're not alone. Uh, all, worldwide, the, the largest symphony orchestras and opera companies and, uh, you know, from Covent Garden to La Scala in Milan and the Metropolitan Opera in New York, I mean, all of these institutions have been ground to a halt. And in many instances, they weren't able to pay their players, and and players have turned to other things in their lives, in the same way as what we were, what we started 34 years ago to teach, um, how to use their their abilities. So, in many ways, it's a validation uh, of the teaching approaches that we've had, and uh, you simply always have to look at the glass as half half full, not half empty. And you have to say, okay, I'm faced with this problem now. How am I going to solve it? What's a way, what, what is an innovative way that I can think of um, to give better opportunities to educate our, our clients, if you will? 
And so everything that we did, and at the same time, because we have a variety of responsibilities here in Hamilton, we have the responsibility, of course, to the students at the NAO. And I keep saying students, and people say your youth orchestra. Well, it's not really a youth orchestra. It's an orchestra comprised of the finest graduates of music schools all over the world who happen to be Canadian. Then we have a whole other responsibility, at least in our view, because we receive money from the city of Hamilton and the province of Ontario to provide entertainment for the general citizenry of Hamilton. So there, there, there's the NAO, but there's also the festival. And the festival has a responsibility to keep itself out there, to keep going, to, uh, and to find new ways to produce opera, for example. So um, we, had, we had planned in, in 2020 uh, to produce a Mozart opera, uh, Don Giovanni, and uh, we found that all of the, our, our singers were in their various homes all over, well, all over Canada and all over the world in different places in Mexico and the United States. And so we came up with a way of recording them performing with a piano track, which I conducted, and eventually we produced a, a full production of, of Don Giovanni. And, and some of it was really amusing. I mean, it sort of looked like Hollywood squares. And the dinner at the end, uh, they were passing plates between the various squares of the participants. Well, these participants were distanced by hundreds, if not thousands of miles from one another. But by tricks of video, we were able to make it seem like the plate of pasta was being, being uh, served around to all of the participants. And at the end, Don Giovanni is, is uh, invited to the dinner by, by the statue, which is really the, the commendatore, who's brought to life this sort of stone statue. And in the opera productions, it's always a problem. How do you bring a stone statue to life and have it sing? Uh, but it was no problem because we were using film. So it's easy to overlay the photograph of this uh, of this statue and have the statue literally come to life before you. So there are many production potentials using the internet. And I think, again, the, the internet and the ability to record everything and the ability to, to um, have an audience that's not just in Hamilton. For example, all our performances online were viewed in some 176 countries. Uh, we had literally thousands of people tuning in and watching and listening to the concerts that we produced. And, and that will continue. Uh, so you, it, it's, it's always trying to, you know, finding a way through using the difficulties but having them as challenges that really force you in a way to achieve something that, that, that you wouldn't have thought of before and probably couldn't have afforded to do before. But because we were all in this situation together, I mean, I'm sure if I'd called Noah Bendix Balgley, who's the concertmaster of, of the Berlin Philharmonic, if I'd called him up and said, would you come to Camelton to give a master class? Yes, he would have, but for thousands of dollars, not to mention transporting him here. But here we had an opportunity for Pinky Zuckerman in his apartment in New York to give a master class to the violinists. And it didn't cost us that much. Uh, you know, he was prepared to, he wasn't doing anything anyway. He was a prisoner at home, and here was a wonderful opportunity for him to, to remain professionally active. And, and what a gift to all these young people. We were sitting here scratching our heads, okay, we can't bring an audience in because the only people who are allowed to be together were people in bubbles. And so, 
it was very difficult to eat. This was when it was beginning to loosen a little and you could bring people to uh, a limited number of people to a concert hall, but then they had to be seated in bubbles and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't bump into each other in the aisles. You couldn't have intermissions. And I mean, there were a thousand one couldn'ts. And so we thought, actually, it's not, it wasn't my idea to come to start with. The Montreal Symphony did a fundraiser concerts at the airport in Montreal with people in cars. And I thought, there's my idea. That's what we're going to do. We went, looked at a variety of places. We looked at the drive-in in Stony Creek. We looked at a number of places and we thought, well, Ancaster is the perfect place. This is the, uh, and we were able to get a, a hold on that facility for the nights that we needed. And uh, we spent a small fortune on putting a stage and putting uh, uh, television cameras and, and uh, VTR screens. And, and right now, just today, I was in, in, in uh, conversation with Tim Potasek. Tim runs the the uh, festival on James Street, uh, the Art Crawl. He's the initiator of the Art Crawl. And we had this wonderful conversation where Tim, who has a lot of experience, much more than I do, at the whole business of outdoor concerts in unfriendly venues on streets. So we're, we're right now planning we, the first week in, in August of uh, 2022 uh, will be our mini festival at the Ancaster Fairgrounds and will be popular concerts. It'll be a concert on, based on a Sinatra impersonator uh, whom we know and have used before and he's fabulous and all of it is dependent on, on COVID, you know, to, to so, such an extent. Uh, but we are planning, thinking positively that we'll be able to produce concerts. Um, so we're planning on doing uh, an opera, Cinderella by Rossini. Uh, we've just uh, auditioned all of the participants uh, last this weekend, and uh, the letters are going out today to hire them to come and 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 uh, produce live at Hamilton Place the opera Cinderella. Uh, I've hired a friend of mine from Italy, Enrico Castiglione, who produced Leonard Bernstein's Mass for the Vatican in the Jubilee year in 2000. He's coming to direct it. So, I mean, that's still, so we're, we're, we're still dreaming in Technicolor. We're going to make things happen. We want to do a, we've been sitting with the parts for Sound of Music in our library for the last three years, uh, unable to produce it because there's so many kids involved, but we're going to go ahead. We're planning to, to finish our season this next summer with Sound of Music. So, I mean, that's the sort of thing, and we're, you know, slotting in new artists and new ways of, today I was looking at, at a really inventive way that the Canadian Opera Company has uh, treated land acknowledgements. And so I'm going to make a call into the head, head of COC to see if there are ways in which we can collaborate and work together because it's really original, um, the way in which they're approaching it. Uh, so it isn't just an announcement from the stage, but it has some artistic component. So it's trying to find, consistently find new ways of presenting uh, the great music of the world, classical music, new compositions, pop music, every kind of music uh, in every possible kind of way to continue to interest and, 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 uh, and engage the audience of Hamilton. Thanks for listening. 
Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. And please consider rating and reviewing as it helps others to find the show. For more information or to listen to past episodes, go to povhamilton.com.